Bibles open to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle to help you out with that. Uh, in our backyard right now, there's an extension cord running from our garage um, powering a table lamp and a small radio. And all through the night, we have this lamp going at the back end of our backyard and the fan 590 playing because we have one of these hanging around our backyard. And there's evidence that under our shed, you know, sort of a homestead is being, uh, is being uh, established there. And we found out online that skunks are nocturnal. They don't like light, hence the, the, uh, the, the table lamp, and that they don't like noise. And so that's why we have the, the radio going. And then uh, even last night, as, uh, <laughs> just before bed, you know, you might have heard some sounds around the Duncan household. You might have heard Lindsay banging on a tambourine out the, the bedroom window and me with a ukulele down on the ground floor trying to scare this thing away. I'm not even joking. That is what happened last night. You know, skunks, there's just such an association. You just even say the word skunk, right? It just sounds, you think about that awful nostril-burning smell. No one wants to be associated with that kind, of a, that kind of a smell. Smell is such a powerful thing. We spend a lot of time trying to manage uh, smell in our life, in our homes, in our cars, on our bodies, for our pets. We, we invest a lot in air freshener, deodorant, candles, cologne, perfume, potpourri, essential oils, breath mints, gum. We spend a lot of energy on scents and fragrance and aromas. And uh, today, as we're thinking about the pillar of witness that God has in mind, that there would be a certain fragrance, a certain aroma that everybody believer is supposed to carry with them into every situation. And so we've talked about the pillar of preaching, that's God speaking to us through his word. We've talked about prayer, that's us speaking to God. Now we're talking about witness, which is us talking to other people about what God has been telling us. And so today from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to see three things that we need to keep in mind if we're going to be effective as witnesses for God's kingdom and his glory. So I'm going to read our text today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 17, and then I'll pray for God's guidance. This is God's word. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ." And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, and we come by your Spirit right now, and we ask, Lord, that you would be present here as we proclaim your word. And Father, I pray that we would hear your voice, Lord. God, I pray that you would protect me from fear, Lord, fear of what others might think of me, Lord. I pray that you would protect me from, uh, from pride, Lord, and, and from thinking that I somehow have the answers myself, Lord. We pray for your word to do the speaking. We pray for your, your spirit to do the work in our lives. We want to be faithful as witnesses here in this church. And so we ask that you would use your word to build us up to be able to do that. We pray in 
Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Three things we need to keep in mind if we are going to be effective as witnesses. Here's the first one. We need to remember that we share in the victory of God. We share in the victory of God. Verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. That phrase in English, leads us in triumphal procession, it takes five English words to translate one Greek word. And the, the, the Greek word is triumbuo, and it, it was a, a term that was used all of the time. The Roman armies were continually going out and conquering new territory or fighting battles to defend territory that they had already possessed. And when the when the military general, the general of the army, were, was to come back, they would put on a big victory parade. And they would parade the general through uh, the city. You, can, you see some of these arches, uh, uh, photographs of, of, of uh, ancient Rome, and they would have carvings on, art, carvings on these arches that looked uh, something like this, that showed a, a, a parade. And I want to sort of unpack for you because we don't really see these kinds of parades all the time. I mean, I know the, Leaf, the Toronto Maple Leafs are undefeated in their preseason, so we're already talking about, you know, the Stanley Cup parade at the end of the, at the, end of the season. But, but we don't really have too many victory parades, but this would have been something part of everyday culture in the Roman world. People would have known exactly what Paul said when he talked about triumphant triumphal procession. So to kind of help illustrate this, I'm going to need some, uh, some volunteers. Maybe a one, two, three, four, five. You guys want to uh, come up here for a minute? Just, just stand right over here, and uh, I'm going to show you what one of these parades would have looked like. There's hundreds and hundreds of written accounts of this type of, uh, this type of parade. And, and so we have a lot of detail about what these parades would have looked like. It started out with the general, the general who won the battle. So come on, you can, you can be the general here. Here's your chariot, okay? So just kneel on there, put one arm on your chariot. No, no, just kneel, just put your knees on it. There we go. Great, and look, look to the crowd and give them a nice royal wave. You know, you're, you're the victorious, that's great. You just keep doing that. Now behind, behind the general would come his his military leaders, all of the other soldiers. So you can sort of stand at attention and salute as you're marching along. And so the, the military would have been right there. Well, how come you're not waving anymore? They're, they're, look. <laughs> and then, oh sorry, and then we would have the freed slaves, the people that, that, that the, the Roman citizens that were being oppressed by the barbarians. And so they would have their arms up because they're so excited. Look, I'm free, I'm free. And then there would be the defeated enemy. And so you're, you've got your... You've got your, your you're all, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That's great. And then, and then you can't have a chariot without a horse, right? Okay, so that's, that's your job. Okay. Now, when Paul is talking about, when he's talking about a triumphal procession, there's a lot happening. Now, some scholars believe that triumphal procession is, we're a fellow soldier, you know, I'm in the army of the Lord, and, and, and we, and we are participating, not not in civilian affairs, but in the work of ministry. So we're like a soldier. 
Other scholars think, no, Christ set us free. He's the victor. And now we have freedom and we're walking in this parade because we've been set free. Other scholars, though, say, no, we're like the conquered slave. We are the, we are the people that were enemies of God and now we are his slaves or his, or his servants. And so Paul uses this metaphor to describe so many different aspects of the gospel. It is true. We are slaves. We, we have been conquered and captured by Christ and now we do his bidding. We are free in him and we are soldiers in his army. But the one thing, no matter how you might specifically interpret what Paul means by triumphal procession, the one thing is whether you're thinking about a slave or a free person or a soldier, it's all about the general. The general is the one who has done it and Christ is leading us and it's all about him. So everyone here on the stage represents an incredible purpose except you the horse. I'm sorry, Anthony. Okay, let's hear it for these guys. Thanks so much. And this is why this is so important, especially when we pay attention. We always got to read God's word in context, right? Look at the previous two verses. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. Before he says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession, this is what he says. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went to Macedonia. Paul said, you know what, I went to, I, I went to, I went to Troas and I couldn't find Titus and I, I, things were happening but it just didn't seem right. So then I, I went over to Macedonia. It seemed like things weren't going the way he wanted. He had a certain expectation of what would happen in Troas. He wanted to connect with, with Titus there. Because Titus was going to give them an update about how the church at Corinth was, was doing. But it, it didn't seem to be worth But then he turns around and says, but thanks be to God. Hey, that seemed a little random that I went to Troas. And, and the whole reason why I went there, didn't, it, I wasn't able to accomplish what I wanted to see accomplished. But you know what? Thanks be to God. Because he, no matter where I go, no matter what is happening in my life, God is always leading me in triumphal procession. You see, here's the thing that's true about a, a, about a victory parade. There's a purpose and there is a plan, and there is progress. A parade has, has a purpose. It's, the, the purpose is to celebrate what the general was able to accomplish. The plan, they have a parade route laid out. They don't just sort of randomly say, oh, we're going to go over here now. No, there's a, there's a plan route, and there's progress. They move forward. And even though if you read the beginning of 2 Corinthians, it's just, you know, I went here, and then I did this, and I was feeling this way. It didn't, it, but Paul says, thanks be to God. Even in the chaos, even in the disappointment, even in the frustration of what was happening in his life, he said, thanks be to God, because I know that God is leading me. And it's not about me and what I wanted. I wanted to see Troas. I, I'm sorry, I wanted to see Titus in Troas. That's what I wanted, but I didn't get what I wanted. But I know, and I'm thankful, that Christ is leading me. And there's a plan and a purpose. And maybe you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you think about plan, purpose, and progress in your life, none of those things are happening. You, you don't, you don't, you're not able to piece together or think about circumstances and events in your life. And what is the meaning of all this? What's the purpose? What is the ultimate plan? I'm, I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who gives us that, that plan that we're looking for, that purpose, and that, that progress. And then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. 
You see, all of us were created to have a relationship with God, but our sin separates us from God, and God is the author of life, and if we turn our back away from God, then the result is death, not just death here on earth, but a second death beyond this death. And Jesus Christ came. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He came for, to make a way for us to return to the Father by believing in him. He suffered and died the death that we deserved because we separated ourselves from God. And he has made a way for us to return to him by a faith in what he has done for us. So you, listen, you need to stop fighting against God. Like the, like the slave, like the conquered slave in the, uh, in the parade, you need to surrender and say, I give up. It's all about you, God. I am living for you. And we can help. If, if you're an unbeliever, we can talk to you today about what it looks like for you uh, to make that a choice and experience and share in the victory of God. But maybe... As you think about your life, your, your life it feels a little bit the way Paul was feeling right now. That your life feels like, you know, you're, you're, you, you went to this place and you were expecting something to happen. Or as you thought about, you know, where you would be in terms of your education or, or some of your key relationships or, or something with your health. You, you were hoping to be moving forward, but it just seems like you're not making any progress. Well, you need to understand that whatever you feel might be limiting you or hindering you, if you feel like your tires are spinning, you need to understand what verse 14 says again. Look at it again. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. He is always leading us, whether we are sensing it or not. And we always need to remember it's not about us, it's about him. Then the verse goes on to say, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. What an incredible privilege. Paul uses the metaphor of a parade and then the metaphor of perfume. That, that we are on parade and that we are called to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of God. That's the second thing that we need to remember. So we, we share in the victory of God, but that we have this responsibility to spread the knowledge of God, to declare how great God is. We have a role in that, and God uses this metaphor of a fragrance. Also notice at the very end of verse 4, the word everywhere. Sorry, verse 14. The word everywhere. Now circle that word. Also circle earlier in the verse where he uses the word always. When we think about being a witness for Jesus Christ, spreading the knowledge of him, being an aroma, a fragrance... Sharing Christ with others, it is supposed to happen always and everywhere. So when is the time where we're not supposed to be a witness? When's the time where we're off the clock? When's the time where we can opt out of spreading the fragrance? There isn't one. We are supposed to be sharing the gospel, sharing the knowledge of God, always and everywhere. That's a huge responsibility. That's a huge word. So at church, we're supposed to be spreading the knowledge of God. At work, we're supposed to be spreading the knowledge of God. At parent-teacher interviews, we're supposed to be spreading the knowledge of God. In the Tim Hortons drive-thru, we're supposed to be spreading the knowledge of God. Now that looks different in different contexts. Sometimes we have more opportunity to release a book this week that just challenged me to say, just be 10% nicer. You know, 
A any higher of a percentage, just not being yourself, really. But, but just try to be the version of you, but just 10%. And I thought about that. I'm trying to apply that. Just 10 just smile, just 10% brighter. Not some phony, goofy smile. But just really look at people and smile at them. To, to be 10% more kind. To be 10% more patient. Because God is kind. And God is patient. And so we can spread the knowledge of Him just in our small little interactions with people. And, and hopefully that will create opportunities to share the whole story of who God is and what He's done. Because God wants us to do it always and everywhere. And then verse 15, it says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Always and everywhere. Some people are going to respond and think that it's a fragrance of life. Some people are going to respond and think that it's a fragrance of death, but everywhere that we go, whether we anticipate life or we anticipate death, regardless, always and everywhere, we're supposed to be spreading the knowledge of God. Some people are going to hear us talk about Jesus and the gospel, and they are going to smell that in, and they're going to say, fresh chocolate chip cookies baking in the oven. They're going to love the smell. Someone else is going to smell, smell the fragrance of Christ as you talk to them about the gospel. And they're going to smell the moisture at the bottom of your green bin. It's going to be, it's going to be offensive. They're, 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 it's going to be repulsive towards them. But loved ones, we are called always and everywhere to spread the fragrance, the aroma of Christ. Someone might think, oh, that smells, that, that, that's an amazing, that's, that's Chanel number five. Or that's, that's wet dog. I want nothing to do with that. Notice in verse 16, to one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. The same message Two very different responses. James MacDonald wrote, Unless you are willing to be an aroma of death to those who are perishing, you will never be the aroma of life to those who are being saved. Because we, we don't know how people are going to respond. And so always and everywhere is how we're supposed to be spreading uh, the fragrance. And we don't know that the response is between that person and God. Don Whitney talks about us like we're letter carriers. Remember letters? Someone would you get a pen and a piece of paper. It was like email, but you used to write something out and then you'd put it in a box. And then the letter, the, the letter carrier's responsibility is just simply to deliver the message. It doesn't get edited along the way. The mail carrier doesn't open it up and then, oh, I think you should change. No, no. It's between the sender and the recipient. You, the letter carrier just delivers the message. That's our job, is to deliver the message. Now, the message to some will be offensive. It will be the smell of death, but that is between them and God. The message can be offensive. The messenger should never be offensive. 
The messenger should be winsome and respectful and gentle in the way that we steward and proclaim what Christ has entrusted to us. The other thing that's interesting about this passage, notice the contrast. Death, life. There's no neutral. There's no princess bride mostly dead. It's you either hear the gospel and respond and say, this is life. Yes, I want it. Breathe it in. Or it's death and I want nothing to do with it. If we are preaching the gospel and we're getting a lot of like Switzerland neutral feedback, chances are we're not actually sharing the gospel. If we aren't winsomely and tactfully encouraging people to the point of decision of will you receive the gift of eternal life? Do you understand that the wages of sin is death? But Jesus came to be the way, the truth, and the life. If we are not revealing to people that this is a life and death decision, then we are not being faithful in proclaiming the gospel. That's why the New Testament uses the word boldness to describe the way disciples are supposed to share their faith. It's, the, it's modeled in the book of Acts. It's how Paul asked the church at Ephesus to pray for him. Pray that I would share the gospel with boldness as I ought to. It's how we're supposed to. Boldness is clarity. Be clear about the message. It is a message of life and death. The people that are listening to us need to know that there is a choice to be made. And that's hard work. That's why Paul says in, at the end of verse 16, who's sufficient for these things? He, he, he throws up his hands and says, man, I can't do it. I mean, at first that's a little bit discouraging. I mean, if the, the Apostle Paul doesn't feel up to the task. I mean, he, he knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out. He knew all about uh, Greco-Roman culture. He's quoting poets and, and politicians left, right, and center. He was a genius. But Paul knew that the person's response was between them and God. Paul couldn't argue his, 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 his way through a, a spiritual conversation. He couldn't himself be so articulate and so clear and so wise so as a person is forced to believe. No, he had to simply communicate the information as clearly and as truthfully as he could and leave the rest to God. So Paul understood, listen, his own insufficiency He's like, I can't do this. And maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, I, 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 can't, I, I can't be a witness. I mean, what if people ask me difficult questions? Or, or, or what if someone gets really, really angry with me? Listen, if you're, if you're thinking those kinds of questions, you're thinking the exact same kinds of things that Paul talked about. Who's sufficient? We don't feel sufficient. I think the three main reasons why we don't share our faith is because, number one, we're selfish, number two, we're scared, and number three, we're unprepared. Selfish, scared, and unprepared. Which one are you? I feel like I'm all three. I think I, I'm just selfish. And my selfishness betrays that I haven't personally, in my heart, embraced what God has actually done for me. Because if I fully grasp the gospel... And was fully walking in the spirit. Of course I would want everyone around me to know about it. And if, because the gospel destroys selfishness. The essence of sin is selfishness. 
And so we need to allow the gospel, first of all, to transform our own lives, to fight our own sinful selfishness. Secondly, we're scared. Again, the gospel, the gospel that we're proclaiming is the same thing that we need in order to be able to proclaim it without fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And regardless of what other people might think of us, we need to understand what God thinks of us. That we have been made his sons and his daughters, adopted into his family. That he loves us and nothing can separate us from his love. And then unprepared. I mean, if the Apostle Paul felt insufficient, I mean, all of us can feel insufficient. I mean, no one has all of the answers. And some of us are afraid to start spiritual conversations because we're afraid that, well, what if someone asks a question that I don't know the answer to? Well... You let God deal with that. And there's nothing wrong with in the middle of a conversation. If someone asks a, a difficult question, you can simply say, I don't know. You represent an omniscient God. You don't have to be omniscient yourself. You don't have to know all of the answers. You could simply say, you know, that's a good question. I never thought about that before. You know what, can I, can I take a minute and, 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 and maybe a couple of days to research that or to talk to another mature believer so that I could get you a, a good, I'm sure there's a good answer to that question. That takes humility. But we are called upon to be witnesses and all of us feel insufficient in carrying out what God has, has called us to do. Then Paul says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Jot this down uh, thirdly. So we, we, share the, we share in the victory of God, we spread the knowledge of God, and then we speak in the sight of God. We've got to remember that as we are telling other people about Jesus, someone else is always listening, and someone else is always watching. God himself is present with us, and he is, the, he is the silent participant in every spiritual conversation that we have. Paul begins by contrasting himself with peddlers. He says, we're not peddlers. We're not trying to make money out of this. We're not just trying to close the deal. No, we're not peddlers who tamper with God's word, who take away part of the message so that people will accept it. No, he says, we are, by contrast, we're men of sincerity. We're men of sincerity. We truly believe this, Paul says. We truly have a relationship with God. Listen, here's the truth. Whether we're talking to a stranger or whether we're talking to someone who we know quite well, if you are talking to anyone for longer than five minutes, chances are you're going to talk about someone in your life who you love and care about. You spend five minutes with Ted Duncan and chances are very soon you're going to hear the name Lindsay and you're going to hear Ezra, Jethro, Abel, and Boaz. Why? Because I love them. Because I spend so much of my time with them and thinking about them and talking to them. And so you can't really get to know me without getting to know my family who I love. It's just natural. And so if we truly love God... And if we're always thinking about God and talking to God and communicating with God, then it would only be natural that God would come up in our everyday conversation, isn't it? And we need to stop thinking about evangelism like it's some sort of project or a, a task that we need to do or a formula that we need to follow. No, it just flows out of our lives. We're men and women of sincerity. 
We're not peddlers. We're not trying to sell it. We just love it. We love Jesus, and we want other people to know him. The, the, the peddler is willing to change the message, to, to create some sort of airbrushed version of the gospel. That's not helpful. That's not, I don't present an airbrushed version of my, of my kids. Listen, I, I don't need a skunk in my backyard. I already got four wild animals. That's how it is. I'm not trying to create this idea that, that everything's perfect all of the time. No, this is our, this, it's our family. And in the same way, we don't cover over the things about the gospel that might be offensive to others, like hell or death or sin or punishment. No, we, we, we are men and women of sincerity. We talk about the God that we love. We talk about the gospel that has transformed our lives as witnesses. We speak in the sight of God. After the phrase, as men of sincerity, he says, as commissioned by God. Jesus gave the great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples, to, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we have been given this commission. Not only do we sincerely embrace what Christ has given us, but we are also under Christ's authority as he has sent us out to go and to make disciples. And then it says, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. All of this is happening in the sight of God. When we think about evangelism, loved ones, we need, we need to understand that loving our neighbors is an excellent motivation for sharing our faith. Right? We're not selfish. We can't be selfish. We've been given such a great gift. If, if we truly love our neighbors, then we will want to share our faith with them. But there is an even greater motivation than loving your neighbor. That's the second commandment, Jesus said. The first commandment is what? To love God. With all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When I'm talking to my coworkers or when I'm talking to a strangers or friends about my family, I'm not simply just telling my, those people that I'm talking to about my family because I love the people I'm talking to. I'm talking to those people about my family because I love my family. And we talk to other people about God because we love God. And and. All of this is happening in the sight of God. Let me, let me show you something that, that we might have missed back in verse 15. In verse 15 it says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death and the other a fragrance from life to life. Did you catch that? Before the fragrance goes out to the other people, before the fragrance goes out to the people who think it's an aroma of life, before it goes out to the people who think it's an aroma of death, the aroma goes somewhere else. Do you see where it goes? Where does it go? It goes to God. Because witnessing is worshiping. Notice how the word fragrance is used three or four times in this little paragraph. But only in verse 15 is the word aroma used. That word aroma is the word used in the Greek Old Testament to describe Old Testament sacrifices that make a pleasing aroma before God. When we witness, we are worshiping. 
And this is why we can have courage and be at peace because we know we don't know how different people are going to respond. We don't know what's going to what's going to turn out. There's such an inconsistency in responses, but every time we share our faith there is one thing we can rely on. God is always responding in the same way. He is pleased with our witness as an act of worship when we do our part. Let me just give you an illustration of how this has played out recently in our church. I want you to meet uh, Herpreet. Uh, Herpreet uh, grew up in Punjab and uh, he's back there now. He was visiting Canada just for a short period of time. He was raised as a Sikh. He's now a medical doctor. He, has, he had rejected Sikhism. He had explored Hinduism and uh, Islam and the, the the same thing that turned him off of Sikhism was, was also true of Hinduism and Islam. He felt no one truly understood what the holy book was actually saying. And no one truly seemed to have a, a relationship with God. And so he started to pursue true spirituality. He had a little bit of exposure to the Bible through a History Channel documentary that had been translated into his language. But, but beyond that, he didn't have too much exposure uh, to, to, to Christianity. And he was visiting family in Brampton. And he joined a Facebook Christian group. And so he just, he just searched for a, a Christian group in, in, uh, in, in Facebook. And then he asked, you know, I want to learn about God. I want to learn about Jesus. And someone on that group told him to go to Harvest Bible Chapel at 7755 10th Line. We don't know who that is. Uh, if you're here today, we'd love to sort of piece the rest of the story together. Uh, because uh, when, when Harpreet got here, he didn't really know what to do. And so he was standing out in the foyer and, and Sam Adese, a member of our church, chose to be 10% nicer. He saw someone standing off by themselves and he went up to them. And so here's a Nigerian man speaking to a, a, a man from, from, from Punjab and, and they strike up a conversation and Sam recognizes very early that, that this guy's got a lot of questions. And so, so then Sam introduces uh, uh, Herpreet to Peter King who's sitting uh, right over here. Peter's one of our missionaries. He works at Pearson Airport as a chaplain. He also serves in the welcome ministry. So Peter starts talking to, uh, to Herpreet. And then after the service, Peter introduces him to me. And standing uh, right, over, uh, right over here, Peter and I are sharing the gospel with Herpreet. And I'm, I'm walking him through the, the Romans road, which is sort of the, the clearest way that I know to share the gospel with someone. And then Peter starts to, to talk to him about John chapter 1 and how Christ is the light of the world. And then, and because I guess in Sikhism, I didn't know this, but light is a big deal in Sikh theology. And so I learned that from Peter in that moment. And then so we, get, we gave Herpreet a, a Bible and we got his contact information. We prayed for him. And then I connected uh, Herpreet with Ryan and Melanie Fairhead who run this program called Christianity Explored. It's kind of like alpha. It's for people who are interested in learning more about Christianity. And so Ryan and Mel basically start this personalized Christianity Explored class just for uh, Herpreet. So they start to share the gospel. Then there's a little bit of a breakdown in communication and translation. So they ask Pervase Massey to get involved, to, to, to help with 
with uh, communicating some things in an Eastern context and in a language that her pre could, could understand. And then Scott Barber, who always finds himself into evangelistic situations and conversations, he gets involved. Love, love ones. Long story short, six or seven different people later, all playing their small little part and role, Harpreet is now a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's subsequently gone back to India, and because Peter's so connected internationally, because he's an airport chaplain, he's found a church and some Christians there for him to connect with. Ryan and Melanie are texting back and, uh, back and forth with him, and in communication, he had, a, he had a vision recently of Christ opening his arms to him, saying, come to me, Harpreet, come to me. And listen, God is doing, a, listen, Sam Adese just walked up to a person standing by himself. And now that person is a believer in Jesus Christ, living in Punjab, surrounded by millions of Sikhs. And, and the impact, that, the potential impact for him, for the gospel in that part of the world. All because someone was standing here and chose to walk and engage in a conversation with someone standing over there. Listen, God is working. When we are witnessing, God is working. All of this is happening in the sight of God. He has a master plan. He is leading us in triumphal procession. The question is, are we willing to do our part in spreading the fragrance? Because we all have a role to play. This isn't a message for someone else. This is a message for each and every believer of Jesus Christ. Because God always leads us everywhere in triumphal procession to spread his fragrance. So let's bow our heads together and let's think about, as we close our time in prayer, let's offer ourselves to the Lord in this moment to say, God, here I am. I want to be used by you. I am willing to be a fragrance of death to some so that I might be a fragrance of life to others. God, use me. I surrender to you, Lord, in my casual, everyday conversations with strangers, with my deep heart-level conversations uh, with those whom I love. So let's, let's pray and commit ourselves. Heavenly Father, we want your will to be done. Lord, we know that you have the victory and that you have triumphed over sin and death and Satan. And we are now part of your glorious victory parade. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us. We yield ourselves to you, Lord. Take our lives, take our hearts, take our mouths, take our feet, Lord God, and use them for your purposes to accomplish your will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.